Welcome back to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and the turns of all the important relationships in your life. I am Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver and your casual couch therapist. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, your mechanic. Taking us ever further along the road of life are our drivers. Let's get going. Today's quote is by Kate Middleton. A child's mental health is just as important as their physical health and deserves the same quality of support. No one would feel embarrassed about seeking help for a child if they broke their arm. And we really should be equally ready to support a child coping with emotional difficulties. Previously on the Relationship Road Trip, we dove into our fourth arc of the season with an overview on mental health. Today, we're going to talk more about the stigmatization of mental illness, specifically in the media. So to start us off, what are some examples of stigmatizing mental health in the media? Oh, man. So many. Really, if you think about it, Hollywood movies tend to dramatize mental illness. And obviously, Hollywood movies are movies. They dramatize everything. Right. That being said, a lot of it gets pushed into a negative light. If you think about horror films, psychological thrillers, all of this stuff really skews mental illness to being dangerous and scary and bad. There's not a lot of particularly great representation of other types of mental illness. If we look even just at the film Joker, which was released in 2019, the lead character with mental illness and becomes extremely violent, right? And a study that was published in April of 2020 found that the film was associated with higher levels of prejudice towards those with mental illness. And the author of that study suggests Joker may exacerbate self-stigma for those with a mental illness, leading to delays to seek help. For those of you who were listening last week, it already takes 11 years to get help. So if you're going to delay that even further... It's a lot. And then... Let's see. What's another good one? Silver Linings Playbook. They did a pretty solid job. It wasn't the worst I've seen as far as portraying mental illness. The biggest frustration or qualm I have with that is the idea that mental illness can be cured by falling in love and being in a relationship. Arguably falling in love is a mental illness. Sometimes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now we're getting deep. Um, One of the biggest issues with portraying that, and that's seen a lot, is that depression, anxiety, all of this stuff gets cured when you find your person. And that's just not true. And that puts so much pressure on the significant other of someone with mental illness to, quote, quote, fix it. No, don't do that. Stop. Go to a professional. I think another really big one that comes to mind is Split. I forget what year that came out. Did you watch that movie? 
I did not. Can I heard either? it w- the acting was really good, but the okay. idea of it is a little not ideal. Basically, for people who haven't seen it, the idea is that an individual with dissociative identity disorder, formerly known as multiple personality disorder, becomes violent and starts kidnapping people. And it, yeah. There's just a lot that goes into it. A study done by the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation, ISTD, found that of the 173 people with dissociative identity disorder, only 3% were charged with an offense, less than 2% had been fined, and less than 1% were jailed over a time period of six months. People living with DID are more likely to hurt themselves than they are to hurt other people. Here's a key thing. Most of the mental illnesses do damage to the individual rather than damage to others. And that's flipped when the media takes hold of this. And and that's sad. There's a TV show on Netflix called Insatiable. I watched it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. And it has a significant problem around eating disorders. And it's the idea that simply losing weight can cure said eating disorder. And the character occasionally goes on binges where she eats a ton of food, but she doesn't regain any of the weight. She doesn't talk about the struggle with being thin or the mental health side of an eating disorder. And the last one that I'll talk about, and I will try again really hard not to get on a soapbox and just be salty about it, There's a TV show called 13 Reasons Why. It's, there are so many things, so many things wrong with this show. The first being that when it aired, it did not have any trigger warnings. So it very explicitly shows suicide and rape and sodomy and many other very scary negative things. And there was no trigger warnings. There was no warning like, hey, this will happen. They've changed that. They've put those in and they've put the number for the helplines. But regardless, the entire show is based on the glorification of suicide and the idea that it's someone else's fault as to why someone committed suicide and the blame falls elsewhere. When, and we mentioned it last episode, suicide is that individual's choice. It is not the fault of anyone else. It is that person's choice at the end of it all. And their belief that the only choice is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Correct. And 13 Reasons Why presents that suicide was the only option for this character and doesn't dig into what else there could be. On top of that, it is an absolutely horrible presentation of mental health support and support in general. It made me so angry to watch this show. And I watched it because I had young people coming into my office saying they had seen it and were absolutely horrified or were confused. And so I was like, okay, I'll watch it. I too am horrified and confused by this show. Um, All right. Well, I'm not going to add that to my watch watch list. list. Um, Is it trying to do a thing? I mean, I have not seen it. I'm not trying to defend it at all. But like the thing you said, Kim, about the show presenting suicide is the only option. And the thing you said, Don, about the person who's struggling seeing suicide is the only option. Is the show trying to sort of like present that to the viewer? No, it, it, it's capitalizing on an extraordinary okay. tragedy. Got to so make money. the sum up of it is this girl who commits suicide prior to killing herself recorded 13 tapes explaining to 13 people why she did what she did. 
these are the behaviors you did that led to my ultimate decision here. Oh, geez. Yeah. So she blames other folks, dumps it on them. It's really, anyway, it's all bad. It's so a lot. It's bad. Let's okay, got it. So there are some good Yeah, are let's some go good to the ones. good side, the good side of the coin. Are there any good presentations of mental health in Hollywood and media? Yes. And they tend to actually be biopics of folks who have struggled with mental illness. So The Soloist is a great one, also very well acted. And the show links mental illness, homelessness, and the sense of hopelessness that is associated with feeling alone and isolated when you have a mental illness, when you see and hear things other people can't see and hear. It's the true story of Nathaniel Ayers, who was a classically trained at Juilliard double bassist and then was discovered playing his bass on the on the street and through the nurturance and the relationship with this promoter was able to attain a better life than living on the street and get the care that he needed. As a side note, Nathaniel Ayers is now 70 years old and he's still alive. Another one was the story of John Nash and the movie was called A Beautiful Mind. And it was also well acted, particularly about the symptoms of paranoid schizophrenia, which is really hard to depict. So the spin of how they did visual hallucinations was a bit far eh, and it's not it quite dramatic. ideal. It was dramatic. And also, it, there are limits to what you can do in the world. But they tried really hard to show what it's like to see and hear things other people can't see and hear and then start believing conspiracy theories that are difficult to explain to anyone else. The bad side of the movie is that they omitted some very key parts of the effect of mental illness on John Nash's life. And that would have been helpful because they're there were several downsides before he won. I think he won a Nobel Prize for economics. Is Goodwill Hunting a mental health related movie? It's a mental health related, but not mental illness. So here's the difference. Will in Goodwill Hunting, the main character is affected by the family and society he grew up in. This is again where economics plays a huge role in mental health and self-image. He's a brilliant mathematician, but has no faith in himself. And no one has had any faith in him because he comes from South Boston and that's a poor area of town and poor kids aren't brilliant mathematicians. And then it shows the relationship between a therapist and a patient. And Robin Williams does a beautiful job of depicting a therapist Although most of us are not as funny as Robin Williams. <laughs> Excuse me. I am a fantastic comedian during therapy. I'm sure that you are, but I don't know that you could <laughs> quite get up to Robin's point of view. Never. And speaking He's... of mental illness, you know, Robin Williams committed suicide at the end of his life and struggled with depression throughout his life. So, yeah, Goodwill Hunting would be a depiction of mental health in a media story, not necessarily mental illness. But a fairly positive depiction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely a positive it. depiction of a therapist, which is frustratingly hard to find in movies and TV shows. Sure. And the cool thing is the way that Will discovers his way out is in believing in himself and then taking personal responsibilities for the choices that he's making. Hmm. That's the transformative thing. And to speak to your point from uh, last show, Kim, what cues him up for that is a relationship. He falls in love, but doesn't think he's worthy of that love, of that relationship. So in, in a panic, pushes her away. If you haven't seen the film, it's a great film. That's true. 
this is not Hollywood, but it is media. And I think it's pretty neat. So I really enjoy an epic fantasy series by an author named Brandon Sanderson called The Stormlight Archive. And the fourth book came out last year and I got it. And I was reading the the Ford or like the beginning part, acknowledge, not the acknowledgments, the Ford part. And he thanked, I don't know if it was a therapist or so, he thanked someone for screening the book from a mental health and mental illness perspective. And that caught my eye. I was like, huh, that's, I think that's unusual. And I hadn't really thought too much about it in the previous books, but almost every character, every main character, and because this is epic fantasy, we're talking like 20 plus characters here, has some pretty severe mental illnesses. And there's depression, there's multiple personality stuff going on. There's a lot of like self-worth stuff. And he does, I think, a pretty good job of weaving those into the story in both magical and realistic ways. And it just, I don't know, if you're a reader out there and not a movie watcher, it's an interesting depiction. I don't know if it's epic fantasy. So is it like realistic? Is it a good and healthy depiction? I don't know. But it's interesting to me to see that reality woven into a fantasy story where you don't necessarily get a focus on that very often. So I want to bring that up. I think it's a good example, but what do I know? Well, it's interesting, you know, while I was creating this episode, I was hyper-focused on, you know, movies and TV shows because a lot of people consume that. And there are also a lot of really good books uh, out there that have representation or are just personal experiences. Furiously Happy by Jenny Lawson, which Ben bought me for Christmas like two or three years ago, and I read in under a week, is beautiful. And it is her just sharing her experience of depression and anxiety and issues with self-worth and all of this stuff. And what I love about it is that it's raw and it's open and it's very much the quote, quote, dirty details of what's clinical depression looks like. And Girl Wipe Your Face is also another really good one about a woman struggling with anxiety and depression and all of these other things. And I'm getting ready to read. I have not yet read a book called Tomboy, which is about someone's exploration of just personal identity and the mental health around that. So there are definitely a lot of really good books out there with integration of mental health and just kind of how messy it gets because it's not pretty. Sure. And and the reason we focused more on movies and TV shows is unfortunately most people watch movies and TV shows and fewer people read factual books. So the epic fantasy might get them, but you know, memoirs and that kind of stuff are not as well read. Though I will and, hands down tell you Furiously Happy is amazing. Highly sure, suggest. maybe they'll make it into a movie. And the challenge, the reason it's so important, right, that, that we're talking about those things is because people base their opinions on movies and TV shows. They may not want to admit it, but they are highly influenced by this. The media broadly, I would say, not just yes. movies and TV shows, but books and just media in general. It, it informs our cultural narrative. Yes. And often the media hides behind, oh, we're just writing about what people already think. And it's not that straightforward. Sort um, of a, um, what's it called? Ouroboros? 
Yeah, oh, there you go. The snake Making eating the its big own words. tail thing. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it, like they influence each other. It's a half truth to say, oh, we write about how people think about things, but then people think about things because of the way we're writing and seeing and experiencing them. And there's always a chance to tell a, a better story. That's the key. So what would it be like if we focused on the stories that demonstrated hope and love and community surrounding people who struggle with mental illness? Like like uh, A Beautiful Mind or The Soloist, the guy that passed this guy playing a, a bass on the street could have just passed by and he didn't. He took action. He cared. What if we all did that? What if we filled our lives with acts of kindness to other people? What would the world look like then? It's such a shame that that's such a radical idea. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man, we don't have enough time ever to get into all of that. Well, so what's really important, though, is talking about it. Yep. And being open about mental illness. And there are plenty of celebrities that are leaning into it. And it's beautiful. Dwayne The Rock Johnson talks pretty openly about his experiences with it. Lady Gaga, Demi Lovato, Michael Phelps. I actually think what's really beautiful, Demi Lovato recently came out as non-binary and they're really open about their exploration of identity and the impact it's had on their mental health. And that's been really cool to witness just in the news literally right now. So bringing it to light, making it open, talking about it makes such a big difference. And we've talked a little bit about how young people, um, younger generations are more open to talking about it or at least being curious and Google searching or talking to their friends or seeking out resources. And some of that is we're talking about it more. Yeah. And, and here's another reason why we've focused on the media in this particular case with mental health. All of us are constantly telling ourselves a story about our lives. Constantly. We are constantly describing what's going on in our world, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, if we're good, if we're bad, if we're worthwhile, if we're not worthwhile. All of that is happening in your head pretty much all the time. So how you craft that story impacts the quality of your life. And if the stories we see around us that become templates are ones that are filled with shame and blame and the idea that, you know, if you have any of these symptoms, you're likely to go kill people, that's pretty destructive. So we need to provide templates that are more uplifting about who we can be instead of who we fear that we are. There's lots of bad examples of mental illness in the media, but there are plenty of good ones too. It's important to remember that the stories we consume in popular media influence our personal and cultural perceptions of mental illness. The more we can normalize honest and open conversations about mental illness, the better our relationships and our mental health will be. If you have an example of a good or a bad representation of mental illness in media, share it with us on Facebook. We would love to discuss that with you. Thanks everybody for joining. And until next time, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to the Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.